In the heart of the state of the art, at the dawn of the next stage in entertainment, you found no proscenium. found no proscenium the voice of everything immersive i'm your host noah nelson and welcome to episode 359 this week on the show choreographer and creator corinne wicks is here to talk to us about the upcoming run of her show casting a surreal satirical take on the casting process that is having its first public run this month at thymeli arts in los angeles after emerging as the winner of the 2019 L.A. Immersive Invitational. And in classic no-pro form, we get into some theory while we're at it. Then, Walter Magnuson, general manager of the Winchester Mystery House, is here to tell us all about Unhinged, Nightshade's Curse, the haunt experience that will take over 13 nights at the Bay Area Landmark starting later this month. All this brought to you by our Patreon backers at patreon.com slash And today we've got something special for you backers. If you hit the Patreon feed now, yes, right now, you can find special discounted early access tickets to Houseworld's Bottom of the Ocean Benefit Week for NoPro. Houseworld is putting up 12 shows comprised of 60 tickets total from Tuesday, November 15th through Sunday, November 20th. Buyers will receive 15% off these tickets if they're no pro backers, which translates to a savings of $16.50 for a weekday matinee ticket and up to $51 off a pair of weekend tickets. No Persinium will receive 15% of the sales of all tickets during the week from tickets sold to our backers and 30% from those sold to the public. So, you know, maybe don't spread the link around if you're a backer because, uh, you know, you, you've already paid. Uh, as you might know, Bodo tickets are very hard to come by and we are incredibly grateful for what Andrew Hefner has done here for us. There are just 60 tickets and once they are gone, they are gone. There's also going to be a New York City immersive meetup on Monday, November 14th from 7 p.m. to 10 p.m. at the Bodo venue. This is a free event and tickets are first come, first served with the drink revenue going to us. Backers also have an exclusive window to sign up for this event and non-backers, you're going to get a chance right after them. This meetup features a live panel discussion at 8 p.m. that night with some of the East Coast's top immersive creators, including interactive installation artist Risa Puno, Moritz Marty of Mystic Escape Rooms, interactive theater and games creator Jessica Crean, Evan Knighton, creator of Candlehouse Collective's Remote Interactive Experiences, Alex Chama, the founder of immersive arts venue Future Proof, and Andrew Hefner, creator of Bottom of the Ocean. The dialogue will be moderated by our own Ali Murata. Again, thank you to Andrew. I just got the note from the Small Business Association, and the big bill is coming due next year, and this will help take a bite out of that. Also helping is our latest backer, Ava Pierce. Look, folks, we need 11 more backers this month total to hit our goal and be ready to take on 2023. 
and that SBA loan is no joke. If you can, hit up patreon.com slash noprosinium, or if you're already a backer or can't commit financially, help spread the word about our work. Uh, like us on the silly social medias, uh, spread the podcast when it comes out, the review rundown when it comes out, write us a review on iTunes, whatever you can do, every little bit helps. Uh, or if your company is ready to make a more substantial offering like Andrew has, hit me up at noah at noprosinium.com. There are ways of making this work. As always, big thanks to our sustaining backers, Ari Hurston. Chris Woolman, Samantha Davison, Eric Shamlin, Elaine, Jay Bushman, Jerome Joseph Gentes, David Bassick, Richard Ayers, Lonnie Hanson, Mark Balthazar, Sidney Guillory, and Jan Budman. Thank you all. All right. And with that, and you can get all the links in the show notes if you need links, let's get into this week's episode. Choreographer and immersive performance creator Corinne Wicks, whose work some of you encountered in this year's Los Angeles Immersive Invitational, is bringing back her 2019 LA Invitational winning piece, Casting, for a run at Thymeli Arts over four dates, September 23rd, 24th, and 30th, and October 1st, with four shows a night. I'm excited about this because... I got to see casting back in 2019. Indeed, I was one of the people who voted for it to win. And I've been trying to program this into a festival for years now. So I'm very, very, very excited that people are going to get to see this, uh, which is another way of saying, hey, thanks for coming back on the show. Thank you so much for having me, Noah. It's really good to be back. I can't believe it was uh, like three years ago last i uh yeah three years ago that uh i don't i don't know i've seen you several times since so i know we've done other stuff i i what is time what is time in the past two years uh and indeed (laughs) it's been a few years we first tried to get casting into the 2020 uh summit and festival uh we were really excited about that and of course you know then the pandemic started um but for right. those those who don't know what it is uh, and, and why I'm so gaga over it, uh, maybe you could explain uh, a little bit about casting. Give us the pitch here. Sure. So casting was created as part of the 2019 Immersive Invitational, which is important because the structure of that festival is much like a 48-hour film festival. So creators participating in the festival come to the festival and are given 48 hours to create a brand new work. And we're given certain guidelines. We had to include a certain prop, a certain line. We were given a specific space and casting emerged under those conditions. Uh, What casting is, what came out of that festival, is a piece that plays with the idea of a casting call or audition and then gradually devolves into something a little bit more meditative, intimate, and undefined. I'd I even be so bold to say absurd, uh, sometimes yes. sometimes sublime. Um, one of the interesting things about what you've, you've done here, uh, f- from my understanding of it, at least what was done in 2019, and I'm, I'm curious if you're carrying this over into this edition of the piece, is it essentially um, each run, a few people get to go into it. 
uh, I'm going to be curious as to how many are going to be in each one. I'll ask you more of that in a second. And then while the format and some of the key points, sort of the, the tentpole moments are the same, the, the actual content, the, the action that's happening is a wee bit improvised. There's no two sessions are exactly alike. Is that still the case here? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we are pretty much remounting the same piece with a few small adjustments. Um, and that piece exists in a framework, but it is very much a framework and there is a lot of structured improvisation within it. And that structured improvisation is very reactive to audience input as well. And so, yeah, no, no two iterations of the piece are exactly the same. Is that a mode that you usually work in or, or was this a pretty radical disruption to your usual process? I would say casting is one of the most, if not the most, improvisational pieces I've created. It's funny, I, I was actually just leading a workshop on immersive dance. And in that workshop, something that we talked about was how so much of immersive design revolves around figuring out where action lies on a spectrum between control over what you're portraying and giving up control to the audience. Mm. Um, casting is a piece that gives up a fair amount of control to the audience, but I think it's able to do that because the frame and the structure is so clear. You walk into an audition and there is a casting director and so those are environments and relationships and power dynamics that are very, very clear. And so once you have that infrastructure set up, it's a little bit easier to give the audience freedom to play. Is this one of the more interactive pieces? You mentioned it's more improvisational, but you know, I've been to a couple of your shows and there's pieces you have where the audience has a fair amount of uh, what I like to call traversal agency, which is a fancy way of saying you can move around the space and get a good angle. Right. Which, which mm-hmm. is, I mean, it's funny cause like not every immersive does it, but I often think of that as like the table stakes of immersive. Right. So like as long as people can move around then like, okay, we're, we're playing an immersive, you know, like that's fine. But, uh, and, and, and can often be really good. There's a fair amount of profound stuff you can do with just that touch but i'm i'm curious about this sort of spectrum of interaction and and that that struggle for artists uh between you know giving up some control like you've been teaching you just mentioned you you did a workshop on this how how does that tend to kind of get processed by people is this something that that folks have trouble the artists have trouble giving up that control or or kind of knowing where to draw the line or or maybe just ceding so much control that it becomes formless Mm. i mean i think it's a big question uh i can speak to my experience with it um coming from a sort of concert dance background i think it's very challenging to let go of control um 
And that's because I'm working often with a vocabulary, a dance vocabulary, a movement vocabulary that is grounded in, you know, very technical dance techniques. And so when those are the the tools, the vocabulary you're dealing with, it's a little more precarious at times to invite the audience into, you know, full scale freedom of interaction because, there are safety concerns. Um, dancers need enough space to move, to perform. And also the sort of history tradition of concert dance comes from a very presentational standpoint, a very sort of presentational ecosystem, if you will. Um, I think casting for me was one of the first pieces I created that shifted the balance between dance and theater. Um, The first piece of mine you saw, I Love You So Much, Squeeze Me to Death, had elements of theater, but was very much a dance piece. Whereas casting, I think, is somewhere in the dance theater world, however you want to define that. Um, And I think that when you are able to, or at least for me, when I'm, able to use more text, more direct address, it's easier to cede a little bit of control because you can make the rules clearer. Mm. Um, and you, yes, since creating, oh, sorry, go oh, ahead. Do, do you mean like in a, in a sense of telling people exactly, you say make the rules clear, like, like a kind of like pre-show, like I'm going to list down all the stuff you can do, or do you mean kind of as the piece unfolds, being able to use text, being able to use narrative structures to evolve the interaction model as you're going? Both. Um, I think that when you are communicating with the audience solely as a mover, there are a lot of wonderful tools you could use to communicate what you want from the audience but it's never going to be quite as straightforward as, okay, can I have you all walk across the room? Um, Which, spoiler, is a direction that happens in casting. (laughs) Um, And when there is that clarity of, okay, you're all going to walk across the room and, you know, people hear that direction and they know they're going to walk across the room, I think people feel looser about doing it because they're not going through this process of figuring out what you're trying to elicit from them. Mm, that's that's and a so, really interesting point. Yeah, and I, I, I think that sort of subconsciously as we were creating casting, knowing that people had were, were going to have that clear communication made it easier to create a piece in which we were building off the choices that the audience would make. Cause you, you knew, you knew at what points they were going to be asked to make a choice or, or given an opportunity to show a little flair in, in the instruction, executing the instruction they were given. Yeah. It's, it can be sometimes it can be funny to like just kind of dig down into these mechanics because in some ways they're very simple, but in other ways I see people trip over themselves all the time trying to 
hurt an audience, trying to communicate agency to an audience, um, you know, and it can be even with really good intention. But it's funny to me, I find that folks, and maybe this is the bias, one of, you know, the current age of my immersive journey starting by going to see, here we go, drink everybody, sleep no more. <laughs> Simpsons mean where they're like, say it, say it, Bart. Uh, and then she fell. Uh, but also, you know, like my mom was a, was a dancer and a choreographer like in, in my youth. And, and so having that frame of reference and and knowing that sort of coming from, you know, this is an embodied art form and the simple just um, injunctions of moving around a space, traversing a space, uh, and and what can be done if someone's tuned into the, the relationships of bodies in space. Um, but but people really do kind of kind of I guess like don't tune up their performers to to do that read. I don't know. Maybe that's kind of I'm jumbled up here a bit because the dance thing and then just having my acting training starting with improv like it it always just feels like oh yeah this is like the Reese's peanut butter cup (laughs) you know it's just like oh you you got your choreography in my improv oh you got your improv into my choreography hey (laughs) you know it's like it's delicious what more could we want and and going to see stuff and people are like, oh, all right, so, you know, here's here's everything you need to know about your character. I'm going to let me read you rules for 20 minutes. And I'm like, I didn't I didn't sign up for D&D. Like, why don't we just go play D&D? I'm, I'm down to play D&D. I love it. Um, anyway, that's not a question. That's just a classic Noah rant. I apologize. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no worries. I, I mean, I, I get where you're coming from. And uh increasingly I'm sort of starting to look at my practice and immersive theater in general or immersive performance, immersive dance as a spectrum and, and really as like a, a a bunch of different spectrums. And so I think one thing I've, I've started to realize is that, you know, you have this spectrum of control versus giving space for the audience to participate and collaborate. And, um, you know, there's, there's infinite different ways to do that depending on the piece you're creating with casting specifically, because we, we chose subject material and a setting that was so specific. The, the audience interaction and the ability for the audience to participate and collaborate was facilitated by having a sort of theatrical element, an actor who's speaking to the audience in very clear terms. Um, I don't think that would fit with every single immersive piece. And, and certainly there are other aspects of immersive interactivity that can be served better with nonverbal communication or with dance. But I I think something I'm realizing in my journey as a creator is that understanding how much control you're really willing to cede to the audience on a given performance and how to let the audience know what control they have or what they're being asked of is, is so incredibly important. You first did this in 2019 for the invitational, you know, you know, ex nihil from nothing brought this piece together uh, with with a with a team of collaborators. 
um, what, what other than <laughs> certain people being like, we got to bring this back. Uh, what, what compelled you to bring it back? Um, you know, th- that was, that was a long time ago now. Like, um, why, why make this run? Why now? Wow. That is such a loaded question. <laughs> just, just, you know, just tiny bit. Sorry. You know? Yeah. Well, so I started showing immersive work in LA in 2019. Uh, I did, I love you so much. Squeeze me to death and then casting. And it, it sort of felt like a really exciting moment for me. And with 2020, when we moved into 2020, uh, the immersive summit was coming up and casting was going to be showed at the immersive summit. And it, it felt like, you know, my career was sort of on a trajectory and I was like very excited to sort of come into my own within the sort of world of immersive performance creators, um, in LA and maybe even beyond. And long story short, the pandemic happened. <laughs> um, and so since, since then, I have continued creating work, but it's been much more experimental in the sense that I haven't been able to do much in-person performance since 2019. And so I've experimented with VR. Um, I've experimented with virtual performance, with live streams, with virtual performance in which the audience can participate. Um, and I've had some like really amazing experiences and I've learned a lot, but I, I, I miss that in-person performance. So much of my approach to this work is grounded on the embodied experience of it. Um, and it really was, I would say this summer as, and I'm going to knock on wood here and, you know, asterisk, asterisk, caveat, caveat. Um, it started to feel like in-person performance is coming back in a more reliable way on a scale that, you know, is feasible for an independent creator. Um, I started to think about what I wanted to do. And I think casting is a nice piece to stage at this moment while many people are just beginning to dip their toes back into in-person performance and especially in-person immersive performance. I think it's in many ways a very gentle piece. I think it's a piece that invites uh, a really nice sense of closeness um, and, and reflection and so it it just kind of felt like it met the moment in a way. And, and how many people are you going to run per session? Like how many how many participants get to go through at a time? So we're in a bigger space than we were at the Invitational. So we are going to cap each performance at twelve. Um, and we are asking that all audience members wear masks. Performance will performers will not be masked, but we will be taking COVID tests before each run. Yeah. So every night. Well, and some quick back of the envelope math means that you know you'll get a run for about 192 people total. Will be it's like the it, it, it max out at sellout. So 
yes. again, like a nice, a nice dipping of the toe in and, and coming in September and October, you know, while not a Halloween, not a, not a spooky season themed show, definitely at a time when people are, you know, kind of getting limber and getting back out there and checking things out again. So uh, it's going to be, going to be interesting. And I think it's a, it is definitely a lovely piece. I'm very excited about people getting to see it. Um, and I'm hoping everyone who's hearing this, who's in LA uh, or who's coming through LA at that time to check out the other stuff decides to pop on in. Uh, there's definitely going to be some crossover with that spooky season audience. Uh, you mentioned some of the other forms you've been doing. Uh, are, are there any other projects that are coming, you know, around the corner here or stuff that you're you know, workshopping right now in, in whether it's physical or digital or somewhere in between? Yeah. Um, I have two pieces that I'm developing right now. Um, one, I just did a performance workshop for, which uh, you got to come see. And thank you again for that. Uh, it's a piece about tarot or a piece in in which performers and audience members think about tarot, investigate tarot, use tarot as a method of reflection. Um, so that is a piece that I'm developing that doesn't really have a sort of performance date yet, um, but I'm hoping to do something you know, in the, in the nearish future, let's say. <laughs> um, and then I'm also working on an AR project that is um, a sort of haunted walk using augmented reality. Um, this year, I'm trying to build a proof of concept. So it will be available to the public, but it will not be a sort of finished product. Um, but we're hoping to launch that sort of second week of October, right around that spooky season. All right. Well, I look forward to having you back on the show as, as more of the projects come out into the, uh, to the public eye. And uh, I know you're going to keep us all in the loop. Uh, Definitely. By this point, hopefully all of the notices about casting are up uh, and you can drop into the show notes and get links there. Uh, it should be listed on everything immersive. That's also <laughs> my, my poke to you to make sure you get it in there. Uh, and yes, yes. Oh, it's yeah. going oh, up good, there. Good, good, good. Uh, so yeah, yeah, I have the draft. Oh, fantastic, <laughs> fantastic. Um, so yeah, uh, all people have to do is go to EI and just type in casting, and they'll it'll it'll come up for them. So that's that's the way to do. Corinne, thank you so much for uh, taking the time to talk with us about the show today. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Before we move on real quick, just want to remind you that there's only four dates for casting, the 23rd, the 24th, the 30th, and the 1st. It's at Thymeli Arts in East Hollywood here in Los Angeles. Just got to check the preview out last night. It's been it's been the better part of three years since I've seen this show, and it not only holds up, but it completely, completely delights. Uh, I was talking with Laura Hess, who's going to have our review next week. And uh, just a, a spoiler on her review. If you are a theater kid at all, uh, you've got to go check this out. It's it's just about 20 minutes, 30 minutes total. Uh, it's not long, but the tickets are also 
really inexpensive. It's it's pay what you can, starting at five dollars, uh, and it's it's totally worth it's worth twenty bucks. So to support what they're doing, a fantastic, really enjoyable piece. You'll come out buzzing. Go with friends. It's a lot of fun. All right, and now on with the show. <laughs> The Winchester Mystery House is one of the San Francisco Bay Area's great legends. Construction on the Victorian Manor began in 1884 by Sarah Winchester, widow and heir of the Winchester Repeating Arms Company, and continued to be built up over the next 40 years. Some say the continuous construction was to mask the sounds of the spirits who wanted revenge for the deaths caused by the repeating rifle. Today, the house is a big draw for everyone from school trips to amateur ghost hunters, and of late, an even bigger draw during spooky season as the team at the house go all out. This year's event is called Unhinged Nightshade's Curse, and we're being joined by Walter Magnuson, general manager of the Winchester Mystery House. Hello, Walter. Hello. It's so great to be here. How did I do on the brief backstory? Oh, you did uh, fantastic. I think that was a a very nice little mini bio and uh, sets the tone very well for our conversation. Good, good. Uh, As someone who grew up in the Bay Area, I should hope that the story of the Winchester Mystery House is burned into my brain. Um, It's definitely something uh, that... uh, if you're a kid in the Bay Area, it starts as literally a legend you hear on the schoolyard, and then one day you finally go, and it is it is it is quite strange. But but before diving too far that way, uh, let's dive into Unhinged uh, Nightshade's Curse. What does this year's event have in store for folks? Well, uh, we're real excited about this year's experience. Um, you know. Halloween time and the fall season that really allows us to present something a little more theatrical than we do during the day, which is more focused on the history. And uh, we've tried a number of different approaches over the years and kind of got sidetracked and, you know, challenged by the pandemic, like everyone else in the industry. And this year, uh, we started noticing a whole lot of other partners and attractions and things were going a, a real family friendly route and uh, trying to create entertainment that is, is good for the whole family. And uh, we decided to go the other way. And, <laughs> and this year, uh, many of our guests remember Unhinged from a few years back, and we want to bring it back in, in a new way uh, with a new story and new characters, but sort of sit, hitting on the same um, type of feeling, which was uh, definitely uh, far scarier than anything we've offered before. So Unhinged Nightshade's Curse, uh, we think is going to be uh, the most terrifying and uh, rich Halloween experience this year in the Bay. So what exactly is Nightshade's Curse? Because I think folks who listen to this show, they, they go through haunted mazes at your big theme parks. They do some things like uh, delusion down here in LA, big uh, theatrical productions you know, involving running all over a place and multiple actors. Where, where does unhinged fit on the spectrum of haunts? Well, uh, we've activated the whole estate in a way that we've never done before. 
So uh, Unhinged Nightshade's Curse is, is truly a paranormal thriller inside the house. And it's the first time, to my knowledge, that we've done multiple routes. So there are mm. different routes and experiences in the house. And we've opened up sections of the house that we've never had open uh, for nighttime experiences. So um, that's what's going on inside the house and outside the house, which ties to the story, which I'll be happy to, to share some details on. Uh, we have the spirit carnival, which is going to be something that I think is just going to be an inc incredible spectacle to see. Uh, there'll be lots of themed um, drinks and entertainment and visuals, and it's really going to serve to piece the whole experience together. Um, story is uh out of nightshade you know it's it's late 40s and the house has changed uh, hands several times and madam nightshade is this sort of entrepreneurial owner of a small traveling carnival and uh she claims to be an investigator of all things supernatural and she's talked the folks who own the winchester estate to let her set up camp for 13 nights and uh the takeover includes self-guided tours of the house and local residents are drawn and uh, lots of crazy things happen. So you mentioned multiple routes through the house and rooms that haven't been opened before. Uh, what are the kind of encounters without, without giving away too much, but just to, to set a little expectation here, what, what things might people find as they're exploring well, I, I don't want to give too much away, but um, there'll be things uh, of a magnitude that we haven't really offered before and uh, immersive experiences that you're going to feel uh, with all of your senses that tie to the story. And each route will have different experiences that we believe are equivalent in, in scare value, uh, but unique. So there is actually a package where you can take um, two routes and uh, we're starting to see a lot of early sales for that. About about how long will a route go? How long are people uh, going to be, be running through the house that way? Well, uh, a lot of it is. Uh, is, is, is too determined because it's still in design. But like, what what's the expectation at this point? No, no, I was I was actually going the other direction. It's uh, it's uh, a large part of it is self guided. So okay. Um, there might be some folks that uh, move a little slower. There might be some folks that, you know, want to race on out. So I think the average guest uh, will probably take 90 minutes to two hours with all oh, the wow. things going on outside and inside. Um, maybe even longer if they do both routes. Oh, that's, that's, that's a full evening right there. And, and I know the South Bay is, is going to be hopping because you've, you know, great America is doing its, uh, what is it? Uh, tricks or treats. Uh, thing one of the one of the creators of that was just on the show a couple of weeks ago, and it 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 fills me with joy because even though I'm down in LA, to know that the Bay is where I grew up is starting to kind of coalesce and come back to life. And there's there's what you've got what you guys are doing. There's stuff going up in San Francisco. Uh, it just it just feels good to to hear the Bay getting into the spirit of all this. Yeah. Um, I, and I think just to your point about that, uh, so I've been up here about seven years now and I believe the Bay area is just as passionate about Halloween as you folks down in SoCal. I just think they, they don't admit it as much and they don't celebrate it publicly as much. I, th I think 
deep down, there is really a love for the season and everything about it. And I think in our area theme parks, a great American Six Flags, but also there's a lot of little haunts and I feel like more of them pop up every year. Um, and they're very well done. There's an incredible artistic community here, as you know. Um, so I, I, I think it's wonderful. And I think we're starting to see as we come out of COVID, um, a lot more things pop up that, you know, really give, uh, any type of person demographic, uh, more than enough options, uh, this season. Well, there was for many years, there was like a home haunt that was started by like a little kid in Albany. Uh, and he kept building it up. That kid ultimately went to CalArts down here in Southern California. And I think I like interviewed him in like the first year of the show. Uh, it was a great, great guy. Um, it, and it was really kind of hilarious because in my old job in the Bay Area, I think we did a story on him for for KQED or something. And then, of course, and I, and I don't know if it's still going on on the regular, but um, in the Mission District, uh, El Dia de los Muertos was always just an incredible event every year and just, uh, you know, a, a different tenor from Halloween. Uh, but I have I have very fond memories of, of that up there. Um, I think I think some things have changed because like maybe not as much street fair stuff is going on as it used to occur in the Bay, but it, it's kind of fun to see the home haunt culture and all, all the rest of it kind of start to come up. Um, yeah, and that's that's all. I mean, to your point, I think a lot of it is cyclical, and a lot of it is. You know, the, the world obviously is so upside down right now for so many reasons, and I think things like this people really find a lot of comfort in. Um, yeah. just because they're, you know, incredibly detailed experiences that, you know, whether it's escapism or reassurance or however you want to look at it, they're wonderful. So I, I just, as soon as my birthday is August 10th and for my family, we know that August 11th, basically we get into the Halloween season. So it, <laughs> might, be, it might be a little rush, but you know, I'm out buying every pumpkin spice thing and decorating and everything else. So, so we're, we're, we're into it. Rad. Um, Unhinged, if memory serves, started, the first one was in 2019, and then, of course, pandemic pause. What what led to the development of Unhinged in, in the first place? Well, we uh, wanted really to try something that we had never done before and, uh, you know, do something a little more aggressive. And I, I think um, our guests tell us a lot. You know, we, we have a very, very passionate uh, group of folks who visit and um, they're not shy about what they want to see and what they want to do. So a lot of the roots of Unhinged, uh, you know, were, were right there in the guest communication and the feedback and what they were asking for. And a lot of people wanted, you know, an experience at night in, you know, one of the most famous uh, homes that had uh, a lot of characters and a lot of interaction and a lot of things that we traditionally did not do. Um, you know, going way back, uh, the history here of flashlight tours goes back decades, you know, and, and that's something that uh, seasonally or Friday the 13th Winchester Mystery House is offered. And the house itself, as you know, is so incredible that just simply turning the lights out and giving you a, a, a candlelight or a flashlight is an incredible experience. It's, it's just, you know, cause it's genuine. This is an actual Victorian 160 room mansion with an incredible backstory. So just that 
really was enough uh, for many, many years and, and arguably is still to this day. But we try and do something new and different every year. And uh, a few years back, we decided, you know, let's do something that is uh, heavy on characters, performers, story, you know, unlike we have, we have ever done before. I, I concur on the, the house being incredible in and of itself. I mean, if, for those who haven't been to the Winchester Mystery House, the, the whole continuous construction thing led to just these hallways that go nowhere, staircases that, that are just at, at odd angles, doors that are, it's all, it, it almost feels non-Euclidean at points and you can get really, really turned around. And it is a, a wonderful canvas for creativity. And that's the thing that got me excited when I saw that you first did this back in 2019 was the house is great in and of itself. But then unlocking people's creativity onto that canvas uh, is just such a wonderful boon, uh, both for the creators and I have to imagine for the guests who come through. Yes. Yeah, I I think you said it right. And um, just to further, it is the most incredible stage, I think, to layer something in on. However, from a technical and operational perspective, it is probably the most complicated venue that you will ever Mm. try and do anything in. Just because the house itself obviously was not designed for tours, um, it wasn't designed for a theatrical overlay or install. So it's all part of the fun of being a guest and taking a tour because there's so many odd, you know, twists and turns and stairs that lead to the ceiling and doors that lead to the outside. But to try and, you know, put a theatrical show on, especially if it has a linear story, it can be very, very challenging. So we love that challenge, but it is a, a not an easy place to uh, uh, to work within. I can only begin to imagine. Luck, luckily, you control the venue, so at least you've got whatever time you need to to figure things out. Oh, I, uh, I don't know if anyone controls the venue. But... <laughs> <laughs> maybe no one, but maybe something. Uh, mm-hmm. Before. Before you were at the Winchester House, uh, you were part of the team at Disneyland. Uh, what do you feel like you brought with you from those days to the house? Well, I, I mean, I've always loved history. And, uh, you know, in elementary school, I, I was the one who kept taking out every week the Haunted House book from the library. And um, I've always really loved, you know, theatrical uh, experiences. And, you know, I had a few childhood visits to Walt Disney World that were very impactful. And um, my first concert was uh, the Jackson's Victory Tour in Giant Stadium. And that was incredibly impactful. And obviously later on learning that Bob Gurr did some of the effects and the lighting and everything was a nice full circle moment. Um, So I've always kind of been attracted to that. And uh, you know, obviously Disney sets the bar in so many ways, and I've always been a big uh, Disney geek and aware of the history and everything. So, <clears throat> you know, at Disney, when I left Disneyland, I was doing uh, a lot of uh, special events and experiences and premium services and things. So we were getting to uh, leverage existing assets and, and attractions uh, in different ways and, and celebrate them and offer them and, in, uh, with experiences that maybe had never been done before. So, you know, it's just incredible to go from Disneyland where, 
you know, you have the Haunted Mansion in New Orleans Square, and then you come here, and, you know, this was a direct inspiration for that uh, with, you know, Ken Anderson coming up here, being sent by Walt in 1957 to take notes. And so I, I think there's a lot of parallels. I mean, we're um, obviously very different, much smaller. We're a historic home on the registry. But in terms of the, the storytelling, the detail, um, the immersive environments, uh, you know, all of that. I mean, take a look at the Haunted Mansion and Phantom Manor and all these other places, and you'll uh, be quick to connect the dots on what inspired it. Yeah. I mean, I think people who haven't been, uh, we talk about the mystery house as, you know, about the the haunted part of it and its its role as inspiration for the Haunted Mansion in part. Uh, It's also an an incredibly beautiful space uh, and the grounds themselves are gorgeous. Um, I think of times I went with my own friends and like, I think one of the the happiest, brightest photos I ever took of my friends was during like a, a big petal fall at at the the at the uh, at the house. I think it must have been early fall when we went, uh, and so I have all these like just layered memories of what the place can be. Um, Thirteen days in uh, starting at the end of September into October. Um, Anything else people should know about uh, Unhinged this year? Oh, I I just think it's going to be wild. I mean, we are so unbelievably excited, and I'm very excited about the Spook Easy Bar as well. That's going to have, it ties to the story, and there's going to have a lot of of theming to the drinks. Um, And I think it's just going to be really fascinating to, you know, come to the estate, and you're in the late 40s, kind of midway vibe, and I love, uh, you know, it's such a, a cult classic these days. Uh, Something Wicked This Way Comes, the um, Bradbury book and the Disney film. And this sort of gave me that that vibe, you know, in, in a very good way. Sort of just the, um, you know, the winds are blowing in, the leaves are starting to change and fall off the trees. And it's, you know, a a nice brisk autumn night. And I think just that vibe is going to be so incredible. And, you know, with time ticketing, we're almost too darn efficient because you're able to buy a ticket for the exact time you want to come, you park in five minutes, you could be on a tour and then you can go. And while that's great for some people, uh, with this experience, we're actually encouraging folks to stick around a while. And there's going to be a lot to see and do before and after the tour. So I think it's, it's going to be a great night out. And I, I think people can build upon it. And, um, you know, they can go have dinner across the street at Santana Row if they like and come over. And they could spend a good, you know, three hours if they want here and probably still not see everything. So I, I think it's a fantastic experience. And again, we try and build every year and offer something unique. So, um, you know, this is the only time to see it. All right. Well, Walter, thank you so much. And I'm, I'm jealous of everyone who gets to gets to check out Unhinged this year. Oh, my gosh. Well, hopefully you will find your way up here sooner than later. Once again, I want 
thank Corinne and Walter for being our guests on the show this week. Unhinged Nightshade's Curse starts on September 30th, runs for 30 days. You can find the link in the show notes. And as I noted, just four dates there on casting. You can also find the link in the show notes. Uh, the link in the show notes. Maybe that should be the new that should be a new drinking game. All right. Nah, nah. Between that and the, the SNM thing. Y'all be wiped out every week. Every week you'd be wiped out. All right. Um, very, again, thankful to Andrew Hefner of Houseworld of Bottom of the Ocean for setting up this benefit for us. Uh, <laughs> we need it. Oh, I wish we didn't, but we do. But this is also a really great opportunity for everyone who's trying to get their hands on Bodo tickets uh, because it is very hard. Uh, I totally recommend if you've already seen the show and you have friends who want to see the show, feel free to, you know, get them a little present. Uh, hook, hook them up that way. That's cool. Uh, and also go to the meetup, check that out. Uh, that's, that's going to be, I wish, I wish I could go. I wish I could like just beam into that meetup. That'd be wonderful. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna zoom in. No, I, you, we all know I don't like zoom. Just like I, I mentioned that enough. So that, that will not be happening. You will not be dealing with some giant talking Noah head. Uh, maybe on a little, maybe a little on someone's laptop or on someone's phone. I could FaceTime. I don't mind a FaceTime. So <laughs> I don't know where, you know, I do know, I do know where my good spirits come from. I'm like, oh, why am I so cheery? Uh, is it because my uh, neighbor woke me up at 7.30 this morning scraping the floor above my head? Mm, no, it wasn't because of that. Definitely wasn't because of that. Uh, it was because I caught casting last night. It really was. That's why I did the little stop down thing. Um, just the second that show started back up. And mind you, I'd only seen it once. I saw it once in like 2019. And just, just, just a little, little burst of joy. You know, hearing Laura laugh, um, getting to watch Dasha uh, Kittredge, who's a dear friend, uh, who was just in the audience, getting to watch her uh, laugh uh, as the absurdities of this whole thing kind of like piled up. Uh, just really, really lovely. Uh, anyone who goes uh, will see why we kept on programming it into the festival that one day maybe we'll get to do. Uh, yeah. They they even kept they kept stuff uh, that I wasn't expecting them to keep from the uh, invitational run, uh, and so I'm really excited. It's it's the same show. It's a couple of different performers, but it's it's pretty much the same show, and I love it so much. <laughs> All right, that's enough of that. Uh, what else is there on the agenda? Uh, just a lot. Spooky season is coming. Uh, there's also just big things happening here in LA. Uh, all over the place. Check your feeds. Oh, hey! <laughs> Speaking of checking feeds, something I, I, I just I was going to mention at the top and just blanked out. So congratulations. We <laughs> congratulations are sticking around. Noah, come on. Discord did something cool this week in that they unleashed a new category type. They uh, or channel type. They unleashed forums. I love a forum. I've been wanting to have forums for NoPro for years, but the thought of setting up a special website and blah, 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 particularly when so many things are leaning towards Discord and other forms of social media and blah, blah, blah. But now that there are forum channels inside Discord, we are shaking up how the Discord is organized. So a lot of the channels that we had uh, but but not the regional channels. A lot of the channels we had are being turned into tags 
into first what's going to be our experience forum, which is just all about games and shows and ARGs and escape rooms, all that stuff. Anytime someone finds something, anytime someone wants to promote something, anytime someone wants to talk about an experience they had somewhere, should go into that forum, get tagged up. And the beautiful thing about the forum structure is that it's searchable. It's really searchable. And you can have multiple tags. It's just really, really, really well executed on this. There's there's some stuff like, you know, you can't have layered threads on things, which boo, but uh, Discord's not set up for that. So not as efficient as, say, Reddit is when it comes to such things. But lovely when it comes to search. The only real issue is we can only have 20 tags per forum. So the original plan, which was going to have all of the the regional tags, all of the cities also, those channels also become tags in the forum. That's been put to the side. It's just the different experience types and a couple of special things like ticket swap, which is something we do all the time. So ticket swap is a tag. And then the channels that are sticking around are the local regional channels. So still in LA, still in New York, that's going to be more for casual talk and people, people are encouraged to cross post. People are really going to be encouraged. Like, let's say you find a new show. Let's say like bottom of the ocean was just announced. You know, we'd, we'd want to have a forum post for that. We want to have conversation in that forum post about the show. And then, you know, someone should drop that link into the New York city channel, but this will hopefully help people, find shows. It'll also let people, you know, hold longer form conversations to that end. We're also going to be spinning up in not too long, two other forums. We're going to have one that's just called the discourse, and that's going to be about ideas and theory and, you know, uh, matters of, of, of import. I was going to start listing everything off and I'm like, don't do that right now. Um, but that's where just kind of the general talk, right. You know, of, about immersive as a whole. And then we're starting to design what's going to be the professional forum. And that one is going to have some restrictions on it, on who can access it. Cause for a long time, there's been, there's been uh, a request by creators uh, and other folks working, you know, actors and performers working inside the field to kind of a space for their own that wasn't crossing over with just fan spaces. Uh, and that there's there's reasons for and against doing that. Um, but as the years have gone on, it's been pretty clear that we kind of need a space where people can kind of just, you know, a little, a little more loose, right? A, a little more uh, able to... Uh, and also not be focused on, you know, hey, I'm trying to sell tickets, right? Like there's that whole thing where like someone's trying to, you know, market themselves, but then, you know, take the mask off. And navigating those waters has always been tricky. It's just tricky. Um, but we're going to have some just sort of qualification rules. So we have a kind of a verification process, if you will. Uh, we're hammering that out right now. We don't want it to be just a clickish thing of like, well, if you know somebody, so there's going to be some ways to get in if you don't know anybody. Uh, and there's going to be some ways to, uh, for folks to, uh, vet and vet people. Um, uh, if, if maybe their, their qualifications aren't apparent at the beginning, cause they're also, you know, navigating that line between, 
you know, folks who are doing student works, folks who are early in their professional career, et cetera, et cetera. So we will be transparent about what the requirements of the professional forum are. We'll be very transparent about that. And the call sheet and jobs boards channels will still exist outside that forum. So uh, people will be encouraged to post such listings, not just in the one that's behind closed doors. Uh, people also have the option to just post stuff if they're looking looking for that sort of stuff. Uh, but hopefully this way we can create a, a real dynamic uh, environment for everyone. Uh, I also think there's something to having both types of activity happening inside the Discord, uh, just in part so that people don't have to kind of click in and out and go all these other places. And yes, I'm I'm hoping to whittle down as much as possible um, you know, the, the channels we got. I'm actually, I am disappointed that we can't have all of the category tags and all of the regions in the same tag pool, because that means we could just archive like 90% of the discord channels right now, which would make it a lot easier for everybody to zero in on what they want to talk about. That being said, if you haven't been in the Discord for a while, or if you've never been on the Discord, now is a great time. This weekend, while I'm recovering from a booster, I'm getting the bivalent later today, uh, and I'm just going to be delirious and posting and moderating, great time. Also, while I'm like finishing up the, the Spooky Season newsletter, which, yeah, I didn't put out last week because it was a short week, and uh, was honestly having trouble finding stuff outside of LA. So, uh been been building up the little case all week long and uh i'm gonna work on it tonight after i get doped up and hopefully not be totally fried all right that was a long one but i needed to tell you things so there you go i hope to see you on the discord i was having a lot of fun with it i really like this i really like this form setup uh so yeah hope to see you on the discord links in the show notes uh jealous of everyone who gets to hang out in new york city of course those of you who aren't headed to New York, maybe you're going to come to the dig. We've still got tickets and there are ways to get theater of the mind tickets for the dig. Even though VIP is sold out, VIP is sold out, but there isn't like a velvet row. You're, you're not going to be barred from talking with the VIP people. In fact, we're going to make sure that everyone does get to see each other. That's one of our goals. So check that out. I'll put that in the show notes as well. Uh, and there's going to be some more programming announcements uh, next week about the dig. And then the week after is uh, when we start sending out the surveys, start locking in everybody's uh, content choices. So uh, it's, it's happening. It's real. <laughs> it's Nothing. Oh, don't say those words. Okay. Uh, you know, what I was about to say, and uh, I'm not going to jinx myself this time. You know, it's been like, you know, you know, it's been like for me. So I'm really not going to. All right. That's enough of that. Let's see the credits. This show, the associate producer of No Persinium is Parker Sella. Music for No Persinium is by Chris Porter of the Speakeasy Society. Special thanks to Shavana Lachlan for voicing our intro. And everything wrong about this is my fault. I'm Noah Nelson, and until next time, I'll see you at the show.